on this episode of Pine State Gothic. Well, I had this pain like in my wrist and I'm like, felt like someone was squeezing it. All of a sudden we started hearing the sounds of a piano. I can't hear you right now, but can you give me a knock? Can you give me three knocks? Some people don't talk about ghosts, even when they've had a personal experience they can't explain. Others shrug off the stigma and run headlong into haunted places for the chance to interact with an entity. It's a never-ending search for understanding and for proof. And let's be real, it's also just super fun to be scared. I'm Leah Watkins. On this episode of Pine State Gothic, Three Hunters of Ghosts. Kelly is a clairvoyant and paranormal investigator whose experiences with the other side include seeing full-bodied apparitions in her childhood home in Burnham. Eric tells us about his adventures filming scary shows in Maine's haunted hotspots, including Rockland, Northport, and Stockton Springs. Jess got cool photos and a whole lot more when she and some friends took themselves on a tour through a Fairfield sanitarium at night. We start with Kelly whose affinity for the paranormal was established at a young age. Childhood experiences with a haunted house didn't scare her away, instead prompting a lifelong journey for understanding. My name is Kelly, and I grew up in Burnham, just outside of town. I've seen a couple of ghosts in the house that I grew up in. My dad used to tell me stories that um, the main part of our house used to be part of the railroad station that was in town. And he also said that when they were building the main road in front of our house or beside our house, that the guy that was digging gravel beside our house dug up two bodies. And he said the guy told him back then there was really nothing you could do. They were unmarked graves and they just kind of put them back the best they could. So I don't know if that has anything to do with what was going on in the house or not, but the house was really eerie. It had this heavy presence about it. I didn't like it. I never, never wanted to go in. If I could be anywhere else, I usually would be. My grandparents, my friends, anywhere. The first time I saw a ghost, I was probably seven or eight. And I remember I had some friends over and we were watching TV and my mom was there. And I decided I wanted to get a drink. So I ran out of the living room into the dining area and about three steps in, there was a man standing there back to me. He was standing up against our liquor cabinet and he was facing the wall and I just froze. I'm like, this is a ghost. There's a ghost in our house. And I remember thinking, Is anybody else seeing this? I could literally reach back and grab my mom. And I'm like, why is she not seeing this? And I'm totally freaking out. And I don't dare to say anything because I know he's gonna kill me if I say anything or move or breathe or... So I just stand there and 
he's solid and he has these tall boots, like maybe Civil War boots. And he's solid, but yet transparent. I don't know if that makes sense. Just standing back to, he stood there for, I don't know, it, it probably wasn't that long. It seemed like forever, but 10, 15 seconds maybe. He turns around, his upper body turns around and he looks at me with this disgusted look on his face. And he, then he just turns back around and he's gone. Like it never happened, like he was never there. And I'm just like, oh my God, mom, did you see that man? There was a man standing here. You didn't see him? You know, I was just kind of froze there. And she's just looking at me like, what do you, you know, what do you see? A ghost? You see a ghost? You look like you've seen a ghost. And they were like laughing, but I think she kind of knew. You know, I don't know if he came with the part of the house, you know, was he standing there waiting for a, a ticket <laughs> to get on the train or was he part of the, the land itself? I don't know. There's some other things that happened in the house. One was the bed shaking. Whatever was in the house liked to shake the bed. And it wasn't just like, you know, your bed's shaking a little bit. Like it would be shaking, like, you know, earthquake, what's going on? And I'd be like, why? I would ask my mom, my bed was shaking. Why was my bed shaking? She goes, that's ah, just the train. The train's going by, you know. And my neighbors across the street practically lived on the railroad tracks. And I would go up there and stay overnight. And their beds never shook like that. So when I was like 15, probably... I was sleeping face down. I woke up and I was sleeping face down and my cat liked to sit on the end of my bed. And I wanted to turn over. Well, I tried to turn over like, but there was like, he was sitting on my feet and wouldn't get off my feet. So I gave him a kick and I turned over. And when I did, I realized that it wasn't the cat that I was kicking. It was a ghost woman. I kicked her off my bed and I sat up watched her walk the length of my bed and she got to the head of my bed and she's like 1800-ish I would say that kind of she was dressed that way I don't know if it was a a night dress or a dress but she was she was full-bodied and she was transparent as well and she also lit the room like not bright light but she was definitely illuminating the room and when she got to me, the head of my bed, she turned and looked at me and her eyes were red, flaming red. I'll never forget it. I wasn't really scared of her presence being there, but those eyes, man, I will never forget those eyes. And she turned right back around and she went right out the door, just like it never happened. And I was right on her heels. I jumped up, snapped the light on and ran into the hallway and you know, I was like, Mom, I just kicked a ghost off my bed. And, you know, here comes Mom. What? She won't hurt you. You know, <laughs> she was going with the flow. Definitely full-bodied apparitions. I'm a paranormal investigator, so I've been to different locations and have, have had different experiences. I have never seen spirits when I'm doing a, an investigation. I've captured some great EVPs and I've had some great spirit box sessions. I've felt things, smelled things, 
heard things, never really seen things. But I will share an investigation I did at the main state prison. Uh, my partner and I was going to go down to the prison store. And while he was in the prison store, I decided I was going to walk around on the grounds. There's a, a tarred walkway that goes all the way around there. And I decided I was just going to walk around. Well, I stumbled onto a cemetery. And of course, I can't pass that up. So in I went with my recorder and I'm walking around and I'm asking my questions. I was in there probably 15 or 20 minutes and then I decided, you know, I better get going. So we laughed and went about our day. And then later that night when I was listening to the evidence, one of the questions I asked was, um, were you prisoners here at the main state prison? And about three seconds went by and then crystal clear. Yes. <laughs> just yes. And I, I just, I remember rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind, play. Oh my God, this is the best. It was just so clear. Yes. And I was just, oh my God, you know, when I'm sending it to, to my investigator friends and I'm just, I'm ecstatic because, you know, you watch all these shows where they're, they're hearing things all the time. And they're putting these words on the screen, you know, all these things that the spirits are saying, well, eh, I don't think that always happens because <laughs> I don't always get that. I'll get one or two words here and there. So I was pretty excited. So I decided, okay, we're going to go back next weekend. We're going to go back. And so I did all this um, investigating the main state prison grounds and what was here and what was there. And I'm going to do all this stuff. So my partner's like, okay, we'll go back next weekend. So we went back and I decided to go out into the middle of the grounds where I didn't go before, before I stayed over in the cemetery. This time I went to the cemetery first, but then went out into the grounds. And probably 10, 15 minutes of walking around on the grounds in the center where the prison was, I had to leave. They, <laughs> the spirits sucked every ounce of energy I had out of me. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't function. I couldn't do anything. I was just, it was like I was lost. I'm like, we need to leave now. I was spiritually being attacked and we needed to go. And so we did. And I remember getting in the car and I'm, I'm just hanging onto my obsidian stone and I'm just, <laughs> you know, I can't breathe. And, you know, my partner's like, are you okay? You know, you're going to be all right why do you do this stuff? And he's getting all upset with me, but it took me 45 minutes to come out of whatever that was. And I will never set foot on that place again. I mean, I've had it happen before, but this was like, it took no time and it wasn't good. You know, there was nothing good about it. I got zero EVPs out of that. I didn't get anything other than just completely wiped out. I got, well, I take that back. I did get an orb. A weird orange orb came shooting out of the like sky. It was it was weird. I don't know. That's still eh, that's still up in the air. I, but it was really weird. I will never go back there. That's just I don't know what I was thinking. That's 
when you have all those spirits and all that energy and all those things that they've done and, and all the things that they endured while they were there, that's just not a good mix. I've gone to a couple of different locations and, you know, they, they tell you all this stuff. They, I say they, other investigators, oh, you need to tell the spirits they can't follow you home. Oh, Jesus. They're, if they want to follow you home, they're going to follow you home. And for those that say spirits don't hang out in cemeteries, well, yeah, they do. <laughs> okay, because I lived across from one and they're very noisy. Doing investigations coming home on two separate occasions, uh, totally different places. We came home. First night I had to come home by myself. My partner was away and I came home at, I don't know, two or three in the morning and, you know, you're wired from everything and you, you just, you want to get to sleep and you can't. And finally I got to sleep and bam, picture falls off the wall, smashes <laughs> onto the ground. And, you know, you wake up and startled, scared to death and turn every light in the house on. Go over and look and, you know, no, no reason why it should fall off the wall. You know, everything's all intact or whatever. Two separate occasions. The second time um, my partner was with me, he actually went on the investigation with me. And when we came back, he actually <laughs> went downstairs and he gets up in the middle of the night for whatever reason. He was sitting on the couch and he said the same thing happened. Bam, picture fell off the wall. And again, no reason why, just because... I had a, a linger here. I don't know where I picked it up. Cemetery maybe or whatever, but it was it was creepy. You know, it was one of those ones that was in the bathroom or, you know, you're in the shower and you know that you had shampoo there or whatever. Just things moved and... And I had another um, experience, kind of the same, like with the feelings we went to um, Augusta Mental Health. And I would love to go in that place. Oh my God. But so I was just lingering around out on the ground. You know, you can get so close to the building or whatever. And I was just doing some recordings and chatting away. And all of a sudden something grabbed my wrist. Well, I had this pain like in my wrist and it felt like someone was squeezing it. And I kind of just started shaking it off, you know, like, what's wrong with my wrist? That's weird. It feels like someone's squeezing it. And then it just started getting harder and harder. And like someone was squeezing my circulation off in it. And then I realized what was happening, you know, and I'm like, if someone is here squeezing my wrist, you need to stop. You're hurting me, you know, and it just stopped. And so I'm like, okay, well, so I messed around a little while longer and I'm like, okay, well, thank you, but I really need to get going now. Um, and all of a sudden it, it was like someone just grabbed me again, same wrist, but it felt like a slap and a squeeze. Like someone came from behind you and just, you know, and started to squeeze so hard. And I'm like, <laughs> if you're squeezing my wrist, you need to stop right now. I have to leave. And, you know, I mean, you no harm and blah, 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 whatever my spiel was. And it did stop, but that was one of those places I'm a little leery of too now. The John Gordon murder in Thorndike. He's supposedly killed his, I think it was his brother and his brother's wife and their children. 
and I think maybe a son survived. I don't know. He took an axe to them all anyway, but I went to his grave. He's buried in Thorndike in one cemetery, and I did a spirit box session there, and I didn't get anything, and um, I did some recordings and didn't get anything. I went to the cemetery where the family was buried, and I did a spirit box session, and I asked if anyone was there, and a girl said hi, and then it was instantly followed by a man saying, stop talking. And that was the end of that. And I think the question that I asked was, um, were you murdered by by John Gordon. Sometimes they come through good on the spirit box. Sometimes it's, you know, I was doing, I went with a bunch of people somewhere one night and we were doing a spirit box session and, and I'm just standing there and I hear, hi, Kelly. Just, <laughs> just like it was you standing there. The guy that was with me, he's like, oh my God, did you hear that? They said, hi, Kelly, you know, and I'm like, Hi, you know, who are you? And they said it's personal. So I have no idea who it was, but I don't always put a lot of faith in if somebody's talking that it's really the person that they say they are. You know, I need a lot of proof before, you know, how do we know? I've never necessarily had any encounters with bad spirits to my knowledge. I mean, like I had the, I call him the hitchhiker that was here lingering around. That was creepy weird, you know, I'm not really impressed with that very much, but it's, I've never been scratched or, or dug, although the wrist thing, that was, you know, that was different. I mean, I didn't have any marks or anything like that, but it was definitely, it felt like a slap and a squeeze. So enough so like my fingers were like, you know, like they weren't getting any blood to them. So I'm sure there are bad spirits out there, but luckily I haven't had. I, I find, I think I was very lucky to get out of the main state prison grounds with as, as well as I did, I guess. I don't know. I don't think they could have hurt me, but I mean, when you stop and think about all the spirits that are there and all that they went through, and I, I should have thought about all that stuff before I even went there. Kelly, your candor is so appreciated. We'll take a trip across Maine with a professional ghost hunter when Pine State Gothic continues. Our next guest was name-dropped in episode four, Seek and You Shall Find, as the professor who inspired Ben to organize the paranormal investigation of the Booth Bay Opera House. Eric Reeder is a historian with a background in television and news photography and videography, and he's here to share some of his favorite moments from his time investigating hauntings professionally. Here's Eric. My name is Eric, and I used to uh, do video production. 
and did that for about 25 years. I worked for uh, Fox, I worked for ABC, I worked for Armed Forces Radio and Television. And I did video production. I was a news photographer for years. Uh, I was a uh, producer director at Fox 51 when they used to have that station. Uh, I was also at uh, WMTW as a news photographer there. And I also worked for a production company in uh, Lewiston called Video Services Unlimited. And at that place, we used to do all kinds of um, documentaries on Maine, usually a lot of things on Maine history. We did one on uh, a bunch of them on Maine lighthouses. I've been to every lighthouse in the state. Uh, we did one on Maine covered bridges. Uh, we went to all the bridges in the state. And we did them on like, you know, wind jammers and things like that in the forts. And basically the whole situation was is that we also did uh, a couple of them on Maine ghosts. Basically, there was a, a TV show called uh, Scary for Kids, uh, which had the lady that was in Poltergeist. The little short lady was the uh, one that used to uh, basically, uh, I think she hosted that show. Uh, and it was uh, basically the world's scariest places and things like that. And one of the ones that they did there, I was on the production team for that one. And this took place at Seguin Lighthouse up off of Bath. And basically the stories behind that, number one, it's, it's, it's a pretty remote place. I mean, it's, it, I don't know if people have been there or not, but it is a, um, it's a pretty high island. I mean, it's about two, 300 feet tall, kind of a rock sitting out in the middle of the water off of the coast down there. They were doing a ghost story that happened at the lighthouse there. Uh, they had a girl from um, one of the schools up there that was kind of going there, and the, and the uh, idea was that she was going to be there alone overnight investigating this ghost thing. Now, of course, she wasn't alone. We had a whole production team there. But we worked out with the Coast Guard. We worked out with some of the people there. Uh, the video is online. It's on Scary for Kids, and I think it's uh, listed as Seguin Lighthouse. You can usually look that up, and they have the episode on there. And the story was is that there was a, um, a, a lighthouse keeper that was out there and uh, they actually interviewed an old lady who was a lighthouse keeper. She was a wife of the lighthouse keeper and she'd heard this story and she talks about that and we went out there to investigate that. Now it's not a very fun way to get up there. I had to bring all the production equipment up this huge like probably you know, 300 foot long ramp that went way up you know, 300 feet up which was not fun. Uh, but we get up on top. It, a Seguin Lighthouse is a gorgeous lighthouse. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's right on, perched right on top of the hill, um, and it overlooks the whole area, and uh, it's, it's really surreal at night. I mean, you're up in the light tower, and you look across, and you can actually see the ribs from the, um, you know, from the lantern room that you're in up on top, and you can see them kind of being cast out over the whole ocean. It's beautiful when you see that. It almost looks like you're inside of an umbrella with all the ribs and everything coming down. It's kind of neat. Anyway, the story was is that there was a, a lighthouse keeper that was in there, and his wife was lonely out there. I mean, there was no way, it wasn't very easy to get in and out of that place. And uh, apparently she was lonely and she wanted to have, uh, uh, she played piano and she wanted a piano. Now I can't imagine how he got this up there, but it must've been not fun at all. Uh, and he gets this light, uh, this piano all the way up to the lighthouse and uh, she gets in there and she decides she's gonna start playing this thing. And she only had one page of sheet music and she played it, and I guess she was a little bit off. Uh, I guess you kind of get that way when you're out on the lighthouses. And uh, she just continuously just played the song over and over and over again. The husband told her to stop, and she wouldn't do it. And he was just constantly coming in, and she'd just be playing this song. And he kind of went nuts. Um, and he took an axe, and he destroyed the piano. And uh, then she got really upset about that, of course. And then he got mad at her, and killed her with the axe uh, as well and then I guess he killed himself after that 
Now the story goes is that uh, there is activity out there. People will hear the sounds of that piano still playing out there uh, on a quiet night. Now we went out there to check the place out, and of course, you know, we're going to go out there and make it look as scary as possible. Uh, I mean, there were things that happened. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to lie about that. Um, and uh, we're out there, and you know, there was a door that slammed in the oil. Uh, there was like a, a building outside, an outbuilding, and we were going in there, and the door did slam, uh, and it was pretty scary when that happened. And also, um, we went through this whole thing, and it, you know, it was it was kind of a cool little show. And at the end of the evening, it was about three o'clock in the morning. Uh, we decided that we were going to bed down for the night, and we all kind of took our you know, sleeping bags and we laid out in one of the rooms at the lighthouse. And uh, probably about 3.30, we were just getting to sleep, and it was a long day. We were pretty tired, and all of a sudden, we started hearing the sounds of a piano. And, I mean, it was pretty distinct. Now, I don't know why they did this when they did the production of the show. I mean, they actually had, like, a song playing uh, with piano. I don't know if they had a problem with their audio or something later. But what we heard uh, wasn't the song that they, they, they showed on the show. It was It sounded more like a cat going across key, a keyboard. It was just kind of random notes, but it was definitely playing. And I remember waking up and I was kind of upset at first. I was like, going, that better be, fi- you know, that better be real. That better be a ghost because, you know, we're all pretty tired. And uh, so basically uh, we went out, we searched all over the place and we couldn't find any kind of a, um, you know, of a source for where this uh, sound of the music was coming from. So, I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, it did happen uh, and it was pretty wild and uh, it makes a pretty nice little package. So I I encourage your uh, listeners to actually go check that out. Like I said, it's pretty easy to find. You just go on Scary for Kids and then uh, uh, under Seguin, which is the lighthouse. And it's right there. It's still there. There's even a flash frame of me in there. Uh, You can see me in there when they're actually showing the lighthouse keeper for about a split second. You can see me. So that kind of proves I'm there, actually. Uh, So that was pretty neat. Um, And then uh, when we were doing the production shows on the actual um, on the actual ghost stories in Maine, we had done one that was basically just kind of stories that people would hear heard around the areas. We went to different locations and. And it was more folklore. And I I remember that I was kind of disappointed with the whole thing. I wasn't very happy with the production value of it. I mean, not as far as, I mean, I just, the stories just seemed kind of vague. And I wanted to do one that was called, uh, that was actually, you know, real experiences. And so I went out and I decided to do one and they let me do, they let me produce it. And it was called uh, Real uh, Main Hauntings. And I actually went out and I contacted people all over the place that actually I called historical societies and was trying to get different ghost stories from around all the areas. And we did find several uh, really cool places that people actually had experienced hauntings in Maine. One of the ones we went to was the uh, Kennebunk Inn. And we heard all kinds of stories about that. And uh, we were in there doing the production and then we, you know, they did the interviews. Uh, people were having things getting thrown off of the bar in the, in the bar, you know, like uh, glasses and, and drink uh, bottles and stuff getting thrown off the bar at people. They also said that the, the story behind that was supposed to be there was this kind of a handyman that worked there. And uh, apparently they said he was this kindly old man and did all this stuff. And I don't know, we didn't really have uh, much luck with that. I mean, it, it's, it, the story just didn't seem to jive. I mean, it just seemed a lot more you know, insidious and a little bit more uh, chilling kind of a story than what was actually going on. You got a really weird feeling when you were in there. In the basement, it was pretty scary. They said that the people were getting cold spots and we did experience those in the basement. Uh, One of the things that happened during that production 
is that we were in the guy's room, and this was a really small room. Uh, they were using it, you know, I, I guess it was like a single person room that you could rent. But that was the guy's parent room. And we were in there shooting, uh, setting up to get a shot of the room. And we have, you know, the monitors and all that uh, to do the pictures. And when we did, um, we got this really weird orange glow that was basically filling up the entire window. And uh, being a production person, we were trying to figure out, you know, this, we thought it maybe it was some sort of a weird lens, uh, you know, sun flare or something. The sun wasn't well on that side of the building at the time. But we, we just were trying to figure out how to fix that, you know, because we wanted to get a shot of the room. And then at one point I finally said, uh, well, if this is ghosty, we've got to take a, you know, we at least should at least roll, you know. And so we got, we actually rolled some video. And then when we played back the footage, I mean, it was on there. And then when we got back to edit it, none of that lens flare was on it at all. At all. It wasn't on the monitor. It was definitely in the window. Uh, we saw, you know, we, we went back and reviewed the footage when we were at the location. I could see it in my lens, uh, my viewfinder. But when we went back to edit the show together, we were all kind of excited that we got this, you know, kind of phenomenon coming up all over the window. And when we went back to edit it, there was nothing there. It just looked normal. Uh, and that was kind of weird. Now, later, I mean, we've been doing a lot of uh, different of these stories around the state. But uh, the one that kind of was associated with that place, I got this call out of uh, the blue. I have no idea who it came from. There was this girl that called, and she knew everything that we were doing. Uh, and um, we couldn't figure out why, why, how she would know what we were doing. But she said she was talking about the fact that um, she was sure, you know, she said that she was really into the ghost thing, and she knew all this stuff about it. And she sounded very, very intelligent about the whole thing. And she said that the... Um, that she said, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but all the ghosts in there, um, you know, that, that old man isn't this kindly old man that everybody keeps saying about. And I said, well, I kind of felt that to, to myself. And I invited her to come in and talk about this. And she came in and she was a little um, very kind of weird looking when she came in. And we did our, you know, we talked about it and it was kind of cool. I mean, I remember actually saying, you know, I just found it really weird that we were having a serious, you know, on, you know, a discussion about demons she thought it was more demonic in there um and then she kept telling me during it that i needed because i i thought this was really weird she said um you need to have some sort of protection when you're going in there you're, you're absorbing all this negative energy from all these places that you're going and she said that i should have some sort of a crystal uh to bring with me to actually kind of protect myself from all this and then she said and that's why you're having all the stomach problems that you're having and I, and I actually, the weird thing about that is I, I, I was having stomach problems. Now, she didn't know any of this stuff. I don't know where she would hear this or anything. I had just had an upper GI like a couple of days before that. I've been having a lot of, you know, some uh, physical and, and uh, you know, uh, issues you know, gastrically. Uh, and then, so I thought that was weird. Well, anyway, she said, you know, you need to get this stone, you know, that, that will help you. And when she left, um, I opened up my drawer and there was one of those stones sitting right there. And I was like, I knew it wasn't there before. I mean, it was the stone that she was talking about. I never left the room at any time when she was there. There's no way she could have got into my desk. And that stone was sitting right there on the middle of, you know, in, in my drawer uh, right in front of me. I never left the seat. So there's no way she could have got in there. So I did end up taking that thing with me. And, I, and uh, my stomach issues and all that stuff all cleaned up immediately. Uh, and, and I tried contacting her later. And her phone was disconnected. So that was really weird. I have no idea where that could have come from. You know, and I don't want to get into things saying that she was like an angel or something. But, uh, I mean, I can't imagine what else. You know, it was kind of weird because, I mean, she just appeared out of nowhere, gave me this information, and then was gone. And I could never find out where she was again. And uh, so that was kind of neat.
Um, we went up to um, a place called Stash Foods. Uh, that was a, uh, I'm not sure what, can't remember the town. This was a long time ago. This was in the 90s. Uh, and we did the interview up there, and um, they had a th issue where they had uh, a tooth. Uh, they would be in there, and people would be like, they, all of a sudden, they would hear something go flying by them and hit the, the wall. And they would go down, and they would pick up a tooth that had been thrown. And this happened several times. And uh, so I don't know why. And, and he had them. He had them right there when you could see the teeth. And they were, they, looked, they were human teeth. And we couldn't figure out where these teeth were coming from, and he couldn't figure it out. Uh, and we did a, uh, we had a guy there that uh, did uh, ghost and we did a seance there and he was doing some table tipping, he said, and uh, the table was bouncing all over the place uh, while we were doing the, uh, you know, the story up there. And that was kind of cool. Another place that we went to was the Hitchborn Inn up in Stockton Springs. There was a lady up there. Her name was Nancy Suppies. She was the lady that owned the place at the time. And it was being run then. Now it's a restaurant, I guess. It's been a bit a long time. But the lady that lived there was doing, uh, she had like a little bed and breakfast type place there. And it was a, it's a beautiful old building. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a grand dame of the town. It stands up on a hill overlooking the water and everything. It's a, it's a beautiful place. And we went in there and uh, the lady was very cordial to us. Uh, we went around the place. She was showing us all these uh, locations that things were occurring at. And, uh, you know, she said, you know, in front of this window, people will be outside. They will see somebody looking out of the window people will be in this bedroom they will feel people sitting on the bed next to them and we were upstairs going up toward the attic area and um, all of a sudden she got a phone call now back then she had like a you know a wireless phone and while she was talking all of a sudden you could hear the static all of a sudden just start getting really really loud on her wireless phone and she couldn't hear the person so she ended up saying well I'm gonna leave for a second I'm gonna go back you know next to the you know next to the uh, actual base set there and she left the room area for a while, and we had the door open going up to the attic, and we're standing there waiting for her. And right after she left, the door right in front of us slammed right on our faces, uh, which was pretty wild. Um, the first night we were there, uh, we, um, I set up a camera uh, overlooking this hallway. The hallway, uh, the lady, had said, Nancy had said that, there, that people would see a shadow figure go across the hallway in there, so I wanted to see if I could catch that. And uh, after I'd shot that, I mean, I, we had like eight hours of footage and I started like, you know, quickly, you know, kind of shuttling through the whole thing to see if I could see something go through. And uh, one thing that I noticed is all of a sudden I saw movement at the bottom of the frame. Now, I couldn't see this when it was playing at normal speed. Only, I could only see it. And it was pretty obvious when you sped the, you know, the footage up that the rug, the runner rug on the floor was slowly moving. And it, and it slid about two feet during this eight hour period. And then it, oh, it slid like two feet in one direction and then slid back another two feet. Now this, this was a steady movement of this rug over that eight hour period. It went all the way up and all the way back. I have no, I mean, nobody would have been sitting there doing that for eight hours back and forth for two feet. Uh, and it was pretty obvious when you did it on fast forward, you couldn't notice it, like I said, because it was so slow couldn't notice it at normal speed you could only notice it when it did it on the fast speed which i thought was kind of weird and it definitely moved and uh i mean it was obvious during that the second night we were there uh we had a lady that came in who was a um a medium and her name was Kay mora and apparently she's pretty well known she used to do a lot of uh, online stuff at the time she was pretty well known i guess nationally um but she was a nice lady but we wanted to make sure that she didn't have any prior information about the location before she got there we wanted her to come in completely cold 
And so what we did is uh, we uh, met her in uh, another town nearby, I think in Belfast or something, I'm not sure. And so we ended up uh, picking her up and then we drove her to Hitchborn and she had no idea we were going to go there. And she walked in and she basically owned the place. I mean, she went all around and she picked out absolutely everything that the lady that owned the place had told us about the day before. I mean, she said, you know, you're going to see this window. People are going to see some, you know, somebody looking out of that window. There's a lady over here. There's a very angry man up in the attic who likes to slam doors. I mean, it was exactly what she had told us about. And then th that evening we did a, uh, a seance with her and that went pretty wild. People were saying, you know, they were, she was talking about stuff. She had this um, a spirit guide from Atlantis or something. Uh, I thought it was a teeny bit hokey, but uh, she had a bunch of her students with her. And so anyway, after the thing was over, she had told me, uh, you know, one of the students came up to me and I was standing next to the owner of the house. And she said, um, you know, uh, so why didn't you ask, uh, you know, Kay about the, the buried treasure? And the, the lady went white right in front of me. And, uh, and then she just kind of shrugged and kind of passed it off. And when she left, I asked her, I said, why did you get all freaked out when she mentioned the buried treasure? And she said that I didn't tell, I don't tell anybody this. She didn't even tell us about this at the beginning, but she said that Mr. Hitchborn apparently uh, was a relative of Paul Revere. And apparently he had, there was supposedly a, uh, a Paul Revere full tea set that was hidden in the wall in there. And so she said, I don't tell anybody that because I don't want anybody to go trying to pull the wall, you know, coming in here and trying to pull the wall, walls apart. Cause I mean, that would be like worth a lot of money if somebody ever found it. Um, and so she was really kind of freaked out because she thought this lady kind of, kind of just, you know, knew what was going on. And there was no way that, because like I said, she was very upset about that. Another thing she did, she, you know, she said there was a ghost cat in there. Uh, and um, I mean, and, you know, the owner had mentioned that to us as well. So, I mean, she, she nailed it pretty well. Um, Another place we went to uh, was uh, the Poland Spring House. I uh, can't really say there was a lot of activity when we were up there. Um, and then we went to another place called Temple Heights. And that was pretty neat. We had some, uh, we talked to a lady that was, uh, I guess she was the, the person that ran Temple Heights. Now, Temple Heights is a spiritualist community that was put in in the 1880s, I believe. And uh, the guy that ran it apparently said that he had met a spirit of an Indian that told him that he should put a, you know, he wanted to do the spiritualist stuff. The Indian spirit told him that he should put his spirituals community in this location on Temple Heights, uh, because they said that that was where the, um, the veil between the two uh, realms of the spirit realm and the earthly realm was one of the actual, um, the thinnest. And so they put the spirituals community there and they had a, a weird painting of this Indian in there. And it was kind of neat. Um, and it was kind of neat that they had actually put the spiritualist community in that location. Uh, the reason for that, uh, that I found out later that was weird is because I was getting all, when I was doing this whole uh, production, I basically had, had a map and I was putting a pin in the map to show the location of where these stories were. Cause I was trying to figure out where I was going to have to travel and where I was supposed to go and, you know, these different locations. And what happened was, is I got this massive glom of tax, uh, right around the mid coast area up around you know up, up around the bucksport area up around uh, up around rockland uh camden and all those areas up there i was getting all kinds of uh, these stories of ghosts 
And I kept saying, well, I can't do it there. I mean, I don't, this isn't a ghost, you know, a, this was a main story. I didn't want to like do all these stories in one location. So I remember I just thought that was kind of weird. And I remember I spread out, you know, the ghost stories to be more around the state. But I did notice that map was pretty weird. Uh, later when I was working for a TV station, um, I, was, uh, I was actually working for Fox at that point. Um, the, uh, we did a story up there. There was a lady up in uh, Rockland that had written a book about angel sightings in May. And she basically, you know, she was telling us all these stories of the things that were in her book. And it was just kind of a standard story thing. Uh, but it was kind of neat. And then I, I remember at one point, because uh, she was telling me about all these things that were happening up in that area. And, and, I, and I remember at some point I, I went to the reporter and I said, ask her why she lives here in Rockland. And she did. And the lady looked at her funny. And then she goes, okay, well, come here. And she went over and she opened up her closet door. In the closet door was a map. And that map actually was almost identical to the one that I had made a couple years before that. I mean, she had all these different sightings of angels all over the state. And she had the exact same, basically, you know, pin placement on the map that I had. And apparently there was this big glom of tax on her thing right around the area she was living. And so she wanted to live up in Rockland because she thought that that was the place where angels seemed to come more often. So I thought that was kind of a weird coincidence. Another thing I was doing, I was working for a company that uh, made uh, uh, tabletop games uh, called White Wolf. They made the, the vampire games and they were doing a thing on Ghost. And I was kind of helping and consulting with them a little bit because they were trying to come up with rules and all that stuff for playing a ghost in this game system that they had. Um, and as I was out there, I was, I was trying to, I was kind of getting into the whole idea of ley lines and stuff like that and powers and energies and stuff like that. So I remember there was a guy in, uh, that used to be a t uh, professor at USM. His name was Alexander Tanos. And he used to be in the Inquirer all the time. He was a big uh, Atlantis guy. And I, I wasn't, I didn't even know he, he had died, but I went, I, I found out where he was, you know, where his uh, place was. He has like this uh, Alexander Tanhouse Institute, I think, in South Portland. And I ended up meeting with his uh, niece who was living at the house. And she had all of uh, a room basically where his office was. And she had all of his papers. And um, basically he had all of these ley lines, you know, he was very much into the Devil's Triangle. The Devil's Triangle thing, he showed where the Devil's Triangle was and all the activity involved with that. Well, he had another triangle that came off of the top of the Devil's Triangle. And one of the vertices of that triangle basically hit land. It was the only place where it hit land any place on any of the, uh, of the maps you know, that were lined up there. And the place where that hit was right at Rockland, that area up in there. So I thought, okay, here's three different weird things because, and, and then his, his, his uh, niece was saying that the reason why that was so important in Maine was because, because of that vertice of those lines, it meant that that area was very uh, paranormally active. And so I thought it was really weird that I had three different things that had talked about the Rockland area being very paranormally active. I had the, you know, the lady, initially they put Temple Heights there in the 1880s. I had the lady that wrote the book about the angels, and then I had this guy who was apparently a scientist, a paranormal, you know, a, a parapsychologist, who had basically scientifically came up with a reason why there could have been actually paranormal activity there, because he said there was this other triangle that came off of, that had positive energy. And like I said, the only place where those things matched up was up in, the, you know, where it hit the land was in the Rockland area. So I thought 
there's three different things there that gave, uh, you know, it was pretty coincidental to have three things hitting in the same location. So I guess, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really think that there was some sort of a reason why there is a lot of activity up in that area. And of course, you're going to get the story of the Bucksport boot, you know, on the gravestone up there. Uh, you know, with Colonel Buck, you know, apparently, had, uh, and there's a lot of kind of wild stories about, you know, he burned a witch on a door and all this weird stuff. And But apparently, you know, the boot is there. You can see it. I mean, I'm sure you've heard about that story. Um, so, I mean, that's right in the same area as well. And also, I mean, I know that they've been doing, like, ghost hunters went up there and went to Fort Knox, and they had a ton of activity up in Fort Knox. So that's all in the same area. So there is obviously something going on with that Rockland area. We went to a whole, uh, like a, a, a bed and breakfast there, and in the basement of the basement, this is in Bucksport too, uh, there's a well right in the basement. And, uh, I mean, it goes down inside there. And um, it was kind of weird. We had, we had a, uh, a medium that was with us on that one. And I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sensitive too. I mean, I've had a lot of stuff where I can actually, I mean, I don't really, I mean, I've seen stuff before. Uh, but usually it's more I can get a feeling that there's something in the area. And we went in and we both got the same feeling in there. And there was something with that well. The medium said that uh, somebody had uh, basically uh, dropped a child down, and a baby, into that when their husband, they found out their husband had uh, been lost at sea. Um, that was a story that the person that owned the place, she said they, they had heard a baby crying in the inn a lot. But she said that that's where she thought that that's why that had happened, that the well in the basement, uh, she had basically dropped the baby in there after she found out her husband died. There's a lot of really cool stuff up in Maine. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it's, it's an eerie place. And uh, I think there's more going on up there than, um, you know, than people realize. And I think it's just I think it's important at least to investigate it, you know, and at least see what's going on. And I, I think a lot of the stuff that you find ends up being, um, you know, kind of more enlightening in a lot of ways because you end up finding all this stuff. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that can't be explained. And uh, things like this make that, you know, make that even more important because we, you know, we, it's, it's good to share all this information. Our next story comes from Jess, who shared a heartwarming story in Episode 7, Growing Up, Moving Out. Here she is again to tell us about a time her love of photography and her love of the paranormal came together in a very memorable way when a little urban exploring went awry. My name is Jess, and this story took place in Fairfield, Maine. I am actually a portrait photographer now, and I first started getting into photography by shooting old buildings, abandoned barns, just old, old stuff. Like it was always something that just piqued my interest. Um, and that's just sort of how I fell in love with photography. So <laughs> there is this old, it's an old, tuberculosis sanitarium in um, Fairfield and that's all I'm going to say as far as location goes but it was you know the TB sanitarium first and then I want to say like maybe very late 90s or early 2000s they turned it into um, a nursing home of sorts so I mean pretty spooky vibe all over so um but, you know, through friends and just, you know, living in this area, everyone kind of knew it was there. And they would always talk about, like, how creepy it was from the outside. And I would always tell myself, like, 
you know what, I'm going to get in there someday. So sure enough, me and a couple of friends who were also into doing, you know, urban street photography, that sort of thing, we decided one day that we were going to go ahead and just kind of poke around the outside. And if the opportunity presented itself, um, and there maybe was a door open, we were going to go in and take some photos. So we, we did, we found a door that was open, you know, we didn't force ourselves in, but we went in and uh, it really was an amazing place to photograph. There was just, you know, there's wallpaper peeling off the walls and like the, like the old vintage, like floral wallpaper underneath the paint that was peeling. It was just really, really cool. And I still have photos of it somewhere, but, um, we went in that day and, um, that was that for that day. Um, but I actually went back a few other times with some friends that were not necessarily interested in photographing it, but friends that were also very interested in the paranormal and ghost hunting, um, you know, that sort of thing. So we were probably, probably 18 or 19 and, um, we'd gotten together one night, just bored. We're like, you know what, let's, let's just go. It was after dark. So we had our flashlights. Um, we had like this old, I don't know, it's like a, like a camcorder, I guess you would call it old video camera. And it sort of has night vision, but I don't think it was working, but we had that and we had, um, one or two digital recorders so we could try to do some, some EVP type stuff. So we went in the same door as I had gone in last time with my other friends and, you know, there's multiple floors. So there's a basement, there's the first floor and a couple, I think a second and a third floor. And, uh, pretty safe to say that the basement is definitely the creepiest, but we were on the, I want to say the second floor. So we had walked around like, you know, it was super dark in there. There's no electricity. Like it's damp. It's probably got, you know, um, animals crawling around in it, but, um, we'd walked around. It was spooky. We went upstairs and we just happened to go into this room. And I don't know why I picked this room, but I was like, let's just go in here. Like I'm getting some weird vibes. So we went in there. Um, it's probably four of us, maybe five of us. And it was one person on each wall. So just think of like a square room and we were all back up against the wall, sort of facing the center of the room. And I had put the recorder in the middle of the room on the floor. And I was asking questions, you know, like, is anybody here? If so, you know, what's your name? Um, you know, how old are you? Where are you from? You know, that the typical, I guess, ghost hunting questions. Um, so we didn't hear anything then, you know, while we were asking questions to try to get them on the recorder. But um, a couple of my other friends had gone into another room and it was just me in the room, which looking back, like, I don't know how I had enough balls to stay in the room by myself, but um, I stayed in there by myself and I wanted to try to ask the same questions again to see if maybe they would want to communicate with me if there was anyone there. So I asked the same question again, you know, what's your name? Um, where are you from? Did you die here? Um, and the last question that I asked before I went to go try and find my friends, because I was getting a little creeped out by now, but um, I said, you know, if you're here, um, I can't hear you right now, but can you give me a knock? Can you give me three knocks? And nothing. And I said, okay, I'm going to leave. and I'm going to give you one more chance. Can you please just 
you know, give me, give me a sign. And I specifically, again, asked for three knocks just because, you know, one knock is you, you could chalk that up to whatever, but three consecutive knocks, like that's just something that's, um, just not natural, I guess. But I said, you know, give me three knocks. And there was a and I grabbed that recorder and I got the hell out of that room. And I went and found my friends who were all the way at the other end of the hall. Like no one was near that room. And I did not say anything until we had gotten outside and gotten back in the car. And I was like, guys, like I didn't want to say anything and freak anybody out while we were in there, but um, definitely got a response. And they didn't believe me. But um, I played back the recording and you could hear the three knocks and it was very clear and I still get goosebumps thinking about it now. I think it was maybe later on that night or maybe the next day or two, but I was listening to it again. I think I had tried to like upload it to my laptop or something and I messed around with like some of the audio and I was trying to enhance it. I had no idea what I was doing, but um, after one of the times that I had asked, what is your name? I could hear a voice on there. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just kind of wishful thinking. So um, I finally got it to a point where I could like make it out a little bit. And I had asked, you know, what's your name? And you can hear Ashley, like whispering right into the recorder. And again, I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it. But clear as day, it was Ashley. And it was just a very like breathy whisper, two syllables, Ashley. And uh, definitely didn't hear it in person. Um, all I had heard was the three knocks in person. I haven't gone back since, not by choice. I'd love to, but it's definitely locked down a lot more now. Um, a lot of more people know about it and are trying to break in and do some sketchy things. So, but of all the pictures that I took there, I never noticed any sort of like apparitions or like, you know, ghostly things. But I definitely got some responses and got some voices, and I definitely got the creeps. Jess, you're awesome. Thank you again to my contributors, Kelly, Eric, and Jess. This episode featured music from Blue Dot Sessions. Pine State Gothic is edited and produced by me, Leah Watkins. This show cannot live without stories from listeners like you. Please email me at pinestategothic at gmail.com or connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at Pine State Gothic. And it's obviously a newer grade because there's going to be a newer tombstone. Were you prisoners at the main state prison?